A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. And of course, we're all looking forward to tomorrow. Could it be the last day of uh, summer? Because we've got a very dry and a very warm day today with uh, spells of hazy sunshine. Bring it on, says you. Email address is corktoday at c103.ie. Still lots of commentary about the budget as we head into the final weekend before budget day at next Tuesday. And if you are a worker, we've been told that the average worker will be more than a thousand euro better off and that's through a combination of tax cuts and one-off payments and that's what Leo Varadkar is promising uh, after next Tuesday's budget. The pre-election budget uh, will include income tax there will be cuts to the USE. It's not going to be abolished, but there will be uh, cuts. And obviously, there's much uh, spoken about and much uh, promised help with electricity bills. And of course, electricity bills, uh, which are technically summer electricity bills, are starting to arrive in people's homes. And everybody, when you when you open your electricity bill and you or you open the email from your electricity provider, you will know that that bill is certainly higher than what it normally would be at this time of year. So there's going to be more help with the electricity bills. And there's also going to be help for people who are renting. Targeted rent relief for people with tracker and variable mortgages also seemingly now is central to the negotiations with the Finance Minister Michael McGrath seemingly currently drafting plans for tax relief for homeowners and they are the ones who have been hit by the interest rates hike. hike. But it was Leo Varadkar who was speaking yesterday. He says he's pressing to have as generous a tax package as they possibly can and that will be done through a combination of income tax and some uh, cuts to the USE. He said one thing he wants to do is he wants to reward people who go out to work and he wants to make sure that that group of people keep more money in their pockets because certainly even on this programme and you'll hear it on other radio programmes as well uh, whenever we're discussing things to do with the budget or it'll come up again uh, next week after the budget 
uh, people who go out to work every day often bemoan the fact that they never seem to get anything out of the budget. The budget seems to uh, reflect people who are living on social welfare, uh, people who are on pensions and rightly so. I mean, these are people who are on fixed incomes. But we constantly hear about people who, you know, it was Neil Varadkar coined the phrase, get up early in the morning and go out to work. And many of those people feel at the end of the week, some will question, why am I going to work? Would I be better off um, at home? So he, Leo Varadkar is promising that this is going to be a reward for people who go to work. And then when he was asked if the average worker would be a thousand euro better off after the budget, he says, I think it's fair to say that when you add it all, uh, all up, the middle income worker It'll come out, he said, he reckons it'll come out at more than a thousand euro. Now, he is at pains to point out that that's not all going to come from the tax package. It's going to also include one-off measures. So he's talking about households getting the electricity credit as well. So the thousand euro, that would be a very generous tax package if every worker was going to be a thousand euro better off in their taxes. So it's not that. It's going to be a combination of uh, a number of things. Help will also be on the way for the poorest families and they're talking about uh, substantial hikes in the increase for qualified child payment. But very much at the back of their minds is the fact that elections are looming. We know we're going to have elections uh, in that it's going to be there has to be a general election within the next 18 months but there's also going to be local elections and European elections uh, next year. And you know he, um, ministers and the Taoiseach and all of and, and he admitted this yesterday they're all very mindful of that because whatever gets decided in this budget it's the politicians and the local politicians will be out knocking on doorsteps, asking people for their vote, votes. So they're going to want to be able to stand at somebody's door and say, well, which didn't we look after you in the budget? So they are very mindful uh, of that. Now, measures for from the cost of living package uh, will also kick in before Christmas, with more of them kicking in after Christmas. Um, and while they're they're there, all the indications are that we won't get the same level of electricity credits as we got last year. We got, remember, three 200 energy credits. It's not going to be as generous uh, as that. But the Taoiseach uh, said that uh, they will be giving out electricity credits, but they're going to very much take into account that uh, price cuts are already in place from energy companies. And, you know, he's right there. Price cuts are in place, but we are still paying the highest for electricity anywhere in Europe and you, when you compare us to what we're paying for electricity now compared to what we were paying before the crisis in and before the war in the invasion in Ukraine, you know, we are still way, way ahead of that. And while there's been slight reductions, uh, we're still paying a lot for electricity. So they, the government do have to give some kind of uh, a dig out. Now, the three coalition party leaders they're all scheduled to meet for a sign-off session on uh, Sunday, but there's no predictions that the talks might actually continue into uh, Monday. So nothing has yet to be signed off. And of course, as we know, a big one that's going to affect this budget is the fact that the HSE need additional funding by the end of the year and it's over a billion euro. And of course, that billion euro is going to have to come out and be factored in uh, when the budget, when they're deciding where the money is going to go. So that means they have less money 
money to uh, play around with. So yesterday I was keenly interested in listening to the budget, uh, the budget accounts uh, committee because the HSE boss Bernard Gloucester was uh, before them. One of the things that he said that I think was really kind of a standout moment yesterday, he says the HSE are going to have to rethink what it defines as a high earner within the health service and it's because a large number of hospital consultants are now going on to a new work contract. Now seemingly currently the HSE uh, and HSE employee is defined as a high earner if they're earning above €300,000. And Bernard Gloucester said yesterday it's this, they're going to have to adjust that as the new consultant contract will mean that now a significant number of additional employees will be above that figure when all the dimensions of their contract are uh, factored in. Now he did go on to say that he doesn't accept that we can continue with a position where eight staff and I'm assuming all of these are consultants eight staff earned above half a million uh, last year. One person went over 700,000 and another person went above 900,000 and of course we do there was a recent HSE internal audit report uh, which showed that one emergency consultant earned almost 1 million euro last year does seem incredible, bearing in mind that this is the same organisation that now has to go back cap in hand to the government and potentially there is going to be an overrun of 1.5 billion in uh, spending. And of course, they, Bernard Gloucester also has another, uh, facing another headache because there's going to be a major disruption from today because managers and administrators are taking industrial action and this was over the recruitment embargo that he announced for all grades of management and administration. He sent out an internal memo this week announcing this uh, temporary freeze and Forsa who represent health and uh, welfare staff said it's important to stress that the members who are in management and admin are not the cause for the HSE budget overrun. They say it's the continued use of agency staff and private external consultants at a cost of hundreds of millions of euro and they say that's where the overrun is and that needs to be addressed so all is not happy within the HSE for sure. And a lovely email from Brenda and the gang at the Mallow Active Retirement Group um, just asking me to give a shout out. They had a really, really successful uh, coffee morning. It was a fundraiser for Marymount Hospice and they would like to thank everybody who donated, everybody who turned up on the day, everyone who supplied the gorgeous, delicious sandwiches, the cakes, the biscuits and the sweets. They had a really, really successful day and they raised, wait for this, a staggering €1,140 Euro for the wonderful gang at uh, Marymount Hospice. So well done to everyone uh, involved with Mallow Active Retirement and Brenda, thank you for sending on that email to us. Mary was on to say, Patricia, does anybody know why the modular houses, uh, are they still going ahead for the Ukrainian families at the back of the Park Hotel in Charleville? The reason I've asked is, says Mary, we've heard the work has uh, stopped and I'm wondering why it has stopped. Could you find out for us, please? Well, we did. We made contact with the local Fianna Fáil councillor in Charleville, Ian Doyle, who says, yeah, Mary, you're right. Works have stopped. They're delayed. Well, they're delayed rather than stopped. They're delayed due to a historic find at the site in question in Charleville. Now it seems works are continuing but they have to map out the site now. I don't know what these historical finds are. No doubt we'll find out that in uh, due time. Uh, But because of that work in part of it obviously has stopped completely. 
um, while they, the archaeologists, I'm assuming, are going to have to move in. So it's looking now like the works on those modular homes in Charlotte won't be completed until next spring at least. But Ian said he'll try and get a more exact time frame. But that's the reason that the works have stopped at the moment. And thanks to uh, Councillor Ian Doyle for that. Don't forget competitions on the programme today. We've got our final pair of tickets to get you to the National Menopause Summit, which is happening two weeks today in the Cork City Hall. And we also have our final bunch of tickets to give away for Funderland. If you win, you and two of your family or two of your friends uh, can go along to Funderland at Creamfields on the Tremor uh, Road uh, every night until 10am. We'll be giving all those away on the programme today. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. And we've just spotted that uh, Gavin Riley of Virgin Media News, the political correspondent, has uh, just tweeted that the veteran Labour TD and former party leader and Minister Brendan Howland has confirmed he's not going to contest the next election in uh, Wexford. And he's been a TD for 36 years. He uh, won seats in nine general elections, but he's just confirmed he's not going to be running in the next election. 0818 103 103. Now, according to the Dyslexia Association of Ireland access to dyslexia assessment remains challenging for both children and adults with lengthy waiting lists. To discuss how bad the current situation is, I'm joined by Rosie Bissett and Rosie is Chief Executive of the Dyslexia Association of Ireland. Good morning to you, Rosie. Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme. Is this another postcard lottery or is this a countrywide issue, delays with assessments? This is definitely a countrywide issue, I'm afraid. Um, our public assessment system through the schools, which is with NEPS, frankly, is not at a level that meets the demand. And I'm sure many of your listeners, anyone who's gone through this issue of raising concerns with the school, you know, about your child um, and, and also schools as well, will say the same. Schools have limited access to their assigned NEPS psychologists. So Everyone, you know, you talk about, they're talking about maybe getting maybe two assessments a year done. And that's not only for dyslexia, that's for other query learning difficulties as well. So what happens is the few assessments that are available tend to be understandably given to the children with greatest level of need. But that's leaving huge, huge numbers of children waiting for a very long time. Or in in the reality, for many people, their only option is to go and get it done privately themselves if they're fortunate enough to be able to afford that option. I I think a lot of people who are not aware of this will be scratching their heads thinking that a school is allowed two assessments. So if there's a situation where there's five children in a school needing assessment, is it up to the principal to decide which two that they'll put he or she will put forward? So they they kind of have what they describe as a consultative process between the school and and uh, the NEPS psychologist. And yes, the schools and my heart goes out to schools yeah. and the teachers who are having to make the, these Solomon's choice of of deciding, you know, which children we think need it the most are most urgent, you know. And it's a really difficult situation to. I think, to put those teachers in when, frankly, if they had the choice, as you say, if they have five children who they feel need assessment, those five children should be getting assessed, you know. And obviously the teachers in the classroom are seeing the need because they're obviously with the child every single day. Many of them would probably be able to do the assessment for you. You know, they don't just willy nilly put children forward. They see it's a child who very obviously may have dyslexia. Exactly. And usually with a long history of 
you know, experiencing difficulties with literacy. We know, I mean, we do assessments ourselves here in, in the Dyslexia Association. You can identify dyslexia quite confidently in most affected children from around about mid-senior infants, okay? Um, in many cases in schools, you know, they're not even considering kids for career, for potential dyslexia assessments until they're getting to like fifth or sixth class because of the limited number of assessments and because, you know, of this kind of consultative process that they have, which ends up just delaying everything. Essentially, we're leaving these children struggling for longer and longer and not putting any, con you know, potentially putting interventions in place, but perhaps things that are not quite as targeted or as individualized to each student's profile as they need to be. But I think one thing that is really being missed in the, in this issue is the value of identity for individuals with dyslexia. And if you talk to people with dyslexia, be they children or adults, getting your dyslexia identified, having a word to describe what's going on for you can be incredibly powerful and supportive. It can also help in terms of be it parents or teachers. It helps to signpost you in terms of getting good information as to what's going on for this child. What do I need to look out for? What are the right kind of approaches we should be doing? What kind of accommodations, etc., be they exam accommodations or technology, might be suited to this child's needs? If we leave children continuing to fail and just calling them struggling readers or reluctant readers, you know, we're not doing anything to help those children in terms of their self-esteem and mental health. Yeah, it's just and not our fair. fear is that it's exacerbating those challenges. Yeah. You, you mentioned that for parents that can afford it, they can go private. Uh, how much does mm -hmm. a private assessment cost and, and how quickly would you get an assessment if you were willing to pay? If you were going privately, the cost of private assessment varies significantly. Uh, first of all, I would just say who you're going to, first of all, is an educational psychologist. And I suppose it's really important for parents, if you are going privately, to make sure you're going to the right appropriately qualified individual. OK, in terms of cost, that can vary significantly. Anything from in the private sector, we would commonly hear between 600 and there are people who are charging a thousand and over uh, for private assessment. So it's not it's an it's not insubstantial, yeah, you know. It's not an insignificant um, sum, particularly no, during a cost of living crisis. It's not an insignificant sum, no. Does the, and school, even, does the school and the Department of Education recognise those assessments then? Yes. Yeah, so if a child has an assessment done by, as I say, a, a qualified educational psychologist, then absolutely that assessment is a professional assessment and has to be recognised. Yes, absolutely. And once a child gets a diagnosis, are the supports good then within the schools? Um, I suppose here's where, where we have another slight, slight challenge, I suppose. Um, the Sometimes people think just getting a diagnosis means suddenly you're going to get loads of support. That's not the case. OK, uh, the support that you get in our school system is and rightly so based on le level of need. OK, so if a child is diagnosed with, let's say, for example, with very mild dyslexia, they may not necessarily get any more learning support than they're already getting, you know, yeah. um, but certainly um, it from the point of view for other children, if those need the level of their need has not been recognised in the school, it could make a significant difference, you know, um, and actually they may then be able to to get uh, a greater level of additional support in the school. It's certainly in terms of, let's say, evidencing and having that independent proof to evidence if, if as a, the student or the parent is trying to make a case 
for accommodations, for, you know, access to applying for technology, for applying for exam accommodations when they get to second level college. Having an independent professional report is very helpful to enable you to advocate for the individual's needs. And I remember speaking with you, um, Rosie, earlier in the year about your campaign to allow extra time for students with dyslexia Mm -hmm. at state exams. Has there been any progress on that? Unfortunately not, uh, or certainly not at the pace that we would like to see it. We did have a meeting with the State Exams Commission where we presented the petition to them and uh, outlined the, the, the needs for uh, additional time um, and the fact that we are such a complete outlier internationally and even against in comparison to our third level system here, as we had spoken about previously, they, they listened uh, and basically uh, talked about, I suppose, why it would be very challenging to do it, etc. Um, we have had no kind of significant engagement with them in the last number of months, and certainly it, we do not expect there to be any anything introduced in the the scheme for this year's students. We have been told of a, a a sort of a vague promise of a review in the future, but with very unclear timelines. So we're our latest communication with them. We're trying to get some clarity on timelines, and I suppose really looking at how we can continue to ramp up and put pressure on this uh, in our this briefing yesterday, we we were talking about this this campaign for extra time as well, and even our public elected officials were all uh, expressing their shock at the slowness in movement on this issue. You know, and the fact that Ireland really is so at odds with international practice on this, it just does not make sense. Yeah, because then once the student gets through leaving certain, goes on to third level, there is help available. Uh, well, certainly extra time. Extra is time, a, sorry. A yeah. standard one. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's one of the, the literally almost one, once you've registered with the support, the disability support system in third level college in, in UCC or, or, or you know, um, uh, wherever you're you will. It will be one of the automatic things that will be uh, offered to a student with dyslexia. It's very so frustrating. It's not only available, but easily uh, easy to get as well, you know. Okay, a listener said that they went for a private assessment for their, I don't know if it's a child, son or or, or daughter. The school wouldn't accept uh, the diagnosis uh, and the the student was a leaving cert student. My goodness, going going that far through. Um, What happens there? That goes back to the point you, you make. You've got to be very careful about who you go to for your assessment. Well, I suppose yeah, the, you, it's difficult to comment on individual situations. Certainly, it's it's important to make sure you do go to a properly qualified individual. Okay, they need to be a qualified uh, educational psychologist. Okay, um, so do do your research. Okay, beforehand. Um, having said that, we are aware of situations and have heard of schools that are just they don't want to believe it, you know, mm-hmm. um, or they don't perhaps recognise. And maybe part of that is, you know. There is a bit of feeling guilty or there's a bit of feeling, how could we have missed this? I don't know, um, you know, where they're 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 kind of disputing the degree of difficulty that uh, the report has actually evidenced. You know, um, I, I would say to a parent in that situation, you know, particularly if you've had, you know, a, a proper assessment with an educational psychologist, that is a professional document by a qualified professional. The school should in turn behave professionally and accept that and you know, look at what they can do, even if it is a student in the sixth year, you know, even at that stage, see what can be done to give those students the best support they can for the, the you know, up until you get to the exam. Would that be a very unusual case for somebody to get a diagnosis in leaving cert? It's, it's getting, I would say it's getting less 
frequent, Great. you know, kids getting to that point. OK, yeah. having said that, it still does happen. OK, I mean, we would still even sometimes see uh, young adults where their dyslexia is only identified in college. Um, I think the ones the, the individuals who tend to probably nowadays get to that age without their difficulties being identified are often kids perhaps that have other protective factors. They may have, you know, a very supportive home environment, uh, a lot of support being given to help to keep them, you know, just about, you know, you know, managing in school. They may be huge hard workers themselves. They may have, you know, good intellectual ability as well. So that's helping to kind of, you know, keep them up so that they're underachieving perhaps relative to their potential, but maybe not massively underachieving relative to their age group, you know. Um, so it can certainly sometimes happen, you know. But I think the thing with the thing with when when let's say dyslexia becomes up, someone doesn't develop dyslexia at leaving search. That dyslexia was always there, okay? But they were coping with it. They were using all sorts of compensatory strategies. Frankly, they were probably spending, you know, hours and hours at home, you know, with homework, probably spending way more time than a lot of their uh, their peers in the, in the in their class, you know, just about keeping up with things. And what happens is those compensatory strategies will eventually get to a threshold point where you hit that wall where suddenly they're no longer enough to kind of to be able to keep your your dyslexia at bay, you know. And as I say, for some kids, that point can hit at seven. You know, for others, it's 12. For some, it is leaving search year. For some, it's when they're halfway through a postgraduate course in university, you know. Um, but as I say, it's, you know, depending on the individual, because dyslexia is quite individual, we know it's very much a, a spectrum. It affects people to different degrees, you know, from mild to severe. And also then the individual also has their own other profile of of strengths and, you know, challenges. So there's a lot of, I suppose, issues that individualize the experience uh, for people. Um, having said that, it's, you know, for any young person to get to Leaving Cert and not have their dyslexia identified is not telling us a good story no, about no. the experience that it's, they've had with the education yeah, system, let's be honest. It's hugely disappointing and, and heartbreaking uh-huh. for the student. Catherine says lack of dyslexia assessment for primary school children is terrible. I have a grandchild in third class who uh, the family privately uh, got uh, the child assessed in May confirmed as dyslexia and also has dyscocholia. The school having the resources for the child's needs and the process is as slow as a wet week to get the supports sorted. Children are falling through the cracks uh, and every day makes a difference in helping a child and it is and it is it is true. And Barry uh, Rosie asks um, where, where can an adult go to be assessed? Are adults coming forward for assessment? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, like, as as I mentioned, we do assessment ourselves and uh, we would have about a third of our uh, assessments are done on adults, you know. Um, So there's an increasing growing number of of adults going for assessment themselves. Sometimes, in fact, uh, it's as their own children are identified Mm. that then they're seeing all the signs in themselves and potentially, you know, going going down the route of having their own dyslexia confirmed themselves. For adults, however, the access to assessment is even bleaker because there is no public assessment route for adults. There is no equivalent of 
of NEPs, you know, uh, for uh, there isn't even the two assessments a year uh, for, for adults. So for adults, it is only a private assessment. I know what um, way. So again, that's challenging. But oh. we do ourselves, we offer a, a low cost model. We also do subsidised assessments for adults who are on low income as well. So I suppose in terms of our adult assessment, we are certainly the the most affordable, you know, accessible place to do that. Otherwise, adults are left only with the that private route, which is, as I say, that kind of 600 to 1,000 euro. Okay. Uh, kind of. And yeah. one one final question for you, and I appreciate you giving up your time. Uh, Diane wants to know, does dyslexia run in families? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yes. So we know from decades of research at this point that dyslexia is, in the vast majority of cases, there is a genetic component. Um, so usually that means, you know, within families, you will see it, you know, um, if if one of the parents has it, you know, there's the kind of the, the likelihood that it may get passed down to the children is about kind of 50-50, roughly, roughly speaking. Um, so al- almost always there is either diagnosed or perhaps undiagnosed dyslexics within the family tree, you know, um, with the older generations, you know, be it, you know, the aunts and uncles or the grandparents, probably more likely to be undiagnosed. But you'll often see individuals who perhaps had those similar challenges with with reading or took slightly different routes in terms of career choices because maybe they, they found reading and exams uh, more challenging, you know, because the system is not very dyslexia friendly. OK, listen, uh, Rosie, pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Rosie Bissett who is with the Dyslexia Association of uh, Ireland. I'm happy to report a good news story on a Friday, especially for the families of a group of pupils who attend Rathgormick National School with a confirmation this week that the school bus capacity issue in the Kildinian and Glenview areas have been resolved. Joining me once again, one of the parents, uh, Evelyn Murphy. Good morning to you, Evelyn. Good morning, Patricia. Oh, How are you? I'm very well. I imagine you have the biggest smile on your face. And I, ha- <laughs> I have to say, well done to you and to the other parents because you did put up a really great fight uh, here, which, by the way, you shouldn't have to have done, but you did. I suppose go back and remind listeners, you have three boys needing to use the school bus, but no seats for any of them. Wasn't that, wasn't that your situation? Yeah, it was, Patricia. Um, I suppose we had no seats um, available on the Rackhormack National School Bus for my three boys. Um, I was notified by email at the end of July by the bus errand. Um, uh, as you can imagine, it was a complete shock. Um, we were we thought like that there was a mistake. Um, my children have used the bus since they were in junior infants. Um, my eldest boy is now in fourth class. So the bus was um, a lifeline to us. Um, we just took it for granted that every year that we would just automatically, you know, apply in April, May and just be issued our ticket, um, especially as in um, the last 48 years, my family have used the Rackhormack School Bus Transport to get, um, you know, um, the children to school over the years. And has never, ever, ever been an issue in the past with tickets. Um so this came so, like a bolt out of the blue and you had the absolutely. and you had the smallest one heading out the door as well, who was all excited about going on the school bus with his two big brothers. Yeah, yeah, it was just like, I just couldn't believe it. Like, um, I suppose, like, um, like initially, like we just, like initially I just tried to find out, like, you know, the other families that were affected, if there was any other families affected. Um, in doing so, I discovered that there were seven families, 11 children, um, and because it was the summer holidays, um, Councillor Willem O'Leary informed me that these issues um, are not dealt with until the end of September. 
when the children are back to school. So this is very frustrating, as you can imagine. Like my youngest boy was talking, it was starting in junior infants. All summer talking about going on the bus. Um, <laughs> Bless his heart. Just yeah, just like because like he had two older brothers, yeah. and he'd seen them getting on the bus, and you know he, he thought like my turn, it's my turn now to start. You know, I'm going to big school, and this was just part of like you know what my brothers did, so this is what I'll be doing. And you know, even in the process, like you know, as parents, like we kind of always try and you know do a bit of talking about school because it's a big step for them. Yeah, and this was part of you know our chat over the summer was talking about the bus. Um, and just when I told him he was going on school, like, he, he just was just like, when I told him like that he was not going to school on the bus, he just could not believe it. Like, you know, he asked, like, it was almost like, you know, what did he do wrong? Ah, the you poor know, little thing. Yeah, the poor. Yeah. So since the start of the new school year, as parents, you've had to drop and uh, collect. For you, if I remember rightly, it was 55 kilometres a day you've been doing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's correct, Patricia. Yeah, um, like, we live like um, we live over nine and a half kilometres from Rathcormac School so I would like so the, the bus would have been like you know um, nine o'clock and three o'clock you know collections would be and so I end up doing like nine, two and three so I was up and down six times um, I was on the road so I was doing over like you know 55 kilometres a day um, and in doing that like we live in rural Ireland and it's like we live uh, quite a distance so it, t- it would have taken me about an hour every time to do a collection by the time I got down and I give myself a bit of extra time because of where we lived. Um, and yeah, it was just, you know, it's, I just couldn't believe it. You've, you've been a taxi service uh, since the end of uh, August and, and of course the cost that's involved in that, let alone uh, the emissions, we're all told to don't use the car as much, but you literally had no uh, no other choice. Anyway, some good news. What the, Was it by email or a phone call or how did you find out this week and, and what have you been told? Um, so we were told um, officially it came out um, on uh, Tuesday of this week. Um, Councillor Willem O'Leary rang me with the amazing news and TD Padraig O'Sullivan uh, emailed me informing that the Department of Education has authorised a minibus for us. Um, as you can imagine, I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it because we had, we had been on a roller coaster for the last, you know, eight weeks. Um, you know, kind of there would be a glimmer of hope and then there would be absolutely nothing. Um, so it just took me a while for that to sink in. I couldn't believe that, you know, all our hard work, the stress, the tears, you know, the hardship that we had done it. Um, just, you know, so proud of all the, you know, the group parents, you know, that all came together and we just stood up for our children, you know, because like that was, that was one of the hardest things. Like, you know, when, you know, the end of July, when I found out, like, you know, that there was no buses, like, you know, for the first month, I didn't tell my children, you know, because like I said earlier, like, I just thought it was a mistake, you know, and I just, I just couldn't and I just wanted to protect them and I said do you know what now we'll put the heads down here now and we'll work hard um, and we'll get it sorted before, yeah, before. And, yeah. I mean, and, and I remember at the time when I spoke with you that's what you, it wasn't a, f- a full big bus you were looking for a mini bus would cover yeah. because it's it's only 11, 11 children and it means taking the other seven families it means taking all their cars off the road so you're doing yeah. your bit you're doing yeah. your bit for the environment as well yeah. when uh, is it next Monday did I read that the, the bus kicks in yeah so Monday yeah so what <laughs> I can't believe it. Like I was just, we were all like in the car because like so the families end up like having to carpool 
because as you can imagine, like as many of us working, you know, there's like you're all, all trying to help each other circumstances, out. Yeah. All so we end up having to carpool. So I was doing a lot of mornings because my, you know, my youngest was starting school, so I kind of had to go do the mornings to try and get him into in the door. But, you know, we're all singing in the car going, oh, <laughs> this is my last trip with collecting me. And, you know, the, just the happiness. And, you know, because with the boys, like, you know, with bus, like, you know, there's a real, like, they love it because there's a real social aspect of the bus yeah. journey. Yeah. You know, there's a sense of community that the bus children have because of, like, living where we are in rural Ireland, you know, that, like, you know, that they have that kind of group, you know, going together. Like, so, um, yeah, it's just, Amazing, just well, it's, it's brilliant, and, and I have to say, uh, and I know you've called out uh, some of the public representatives in, in particular, uh, William O'Leary and, and Padraig O'Sullivan. But listen to each and every one of the parents. I mean, what it proves to me is the you know the power of a group of people coming together. I mean, yeah. a lot of this was just common sense, it was just you know, and th- thank God the common sense has prevailed. But that the collective group is yeah. really a powerful yeah. one, so yeah. well done. Because yeah, because I suppose at the end of, like, you know, the, the end of August when we knew, like, we, we hadn't, there was no, like, progress in this. Like, we just all came together, you know, one of the parents, Stephanie Jones, had the idea just to set up a WhatsApp group, use this group, like, you know, to keep each other informed about any updates. Like, we decided to meet once a week then, like, you know, um, and we put in place weekly strategies and goals. Like, as I said previously, like, you know, like, it became a campaign. Mm. You know, the group was a great like support to each other and like one of those strategies was to involve the media like we didn't want to have to go down that road but we felt we had no choice and like we are so grateful like the media as well like publicize this like you were like one of the first people to you know bring this like take this on board and that was a huge thing too for to get a TD to get a counselor to buy in to like get them on board with us to help us well, well done. Uh, well done. You've run, yeah. you've run a very, very successful uh, campaign. You may consider going into politics yet, Evelyn. <laughs> Listen, I'll, so. I'll let you go. Enjoy your weekend. And thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks good morning to you. Bye bye. Yeah. Evelyn Murphy there, one of those parents of the, the family of seven who've been successful in getting a bus from Bus Aaron and the Department of Education. As I say, as I said at the outset, it's good to have a good news story on a Friday. Eddie Abandon was on to us to say that he was at the Phil Coulter concert last night in the Opera House in uh, Cork, the wonderful, wonderful Phil Coulter. And he said uh, Phil was on stage singing. He didn't have a big band with him, so I'm assuming he's just on stage with his piano singing away. And uh, he played the banks of my own lovely Lee and he asked the audience please join in with me which Eddie said people did but Eddie said there was one man somewhere in the audience now obviously he didn't have a mic or anything and he said his voice was so powerful and so good that it actually filled the opera house there wasn't a spotlight on him so Eddie wasn't able to make out who this man was but he said he'd love to find out who he was and to tell that man he should take up singing professionally so I wonder who that was were you with were you the person were you with somebody last night who was a fine, fine singer and decided to belt out a wonderful version of The Banks of My Own Lovely Lee? But according to Eddie, that one voice actually filled the uh, opera house. Wouldn't it be great to get a name of that man? If anybody knows the name, please, please let, let us know. 0818 103 103. I'm going to give away the menopause tickets now. This is the National Menopause uh, Summit. 
It's on two weeks today, Friday, 20th of October, in the Cork City uh, Hall. It's a wonderful lineup of uh, speakers, and it's a must for anyone who perhaps is struggling at the moment with menopause, somebody in, currently in perimenopause, or for any woman who just wants to get informed in advance of the menopause uh, arriving. And this, of course, is World Menopause Awareness Month. So, uh, one of the symptoms of for people who are going through menopause, uh, people, women will often talk about having brain fog and it can be an awful feeling of just not remembering uh, things a little bit like baby brain all obviously to do with uh, hormones so the word we're using today for entry to our text competition is brain fog so I needed to text the word brain fog along with your name and address you can text our WhatsApp whichever suits you 0862103103 and we'll leave it open for about 10 minutes and then we will select one winner who will win a pair of tickets their balcony tickets to the National Menopause Summit in the Cork City Hall. Please only enter if you're free, willing and able and really would like to go along on Friday, October the 20th. So brain fog along with your name and address, uh, please, to 0862103103. Some of your calls and comments uh, coming in. Is there a name on this? No, there isn't. This was somebody who was listening to me chatting with Evelyn Murphy in the last hour regarding the situation with the no school bus for the 11 children in the area and common sense has prevailed and the minibus is going to be put on from next Monday. Listen, said listening with great interest to Evelyn and yes, we here in Glenville, we also got that email because it was the parents of Kildinan and the parents of uh, Glenville or the children of those two areas that were affected. We also got that email from Deputy Padraig O'Sullivan saying that they're going to sort out a larger bus for the 12 students uh, who, who currently have no tickets and they're working with Bus Aaron to sort out the situation. So it has taken the ministers in the Dáil to return to work after their summer recess to sort out this situation once again this year. So maybe a small bit of forward planning going forward and grant pupils who are the furthest away eligibility, get rid of these concessionary tickets and give them tickets so that we won't be here again next year. Well done to Evelyn and all of the parents in Kildanyan. And that's that's my big fear and I didn't even, I did think about saying it to Evelyn are we going to be back here next year fighting it again I'm hoping that we're not uh, but they were on such a high after getting the minibus for next Monday I didn't even want to go there uh, with it but every single year without fail we end up at the around the end of August we'll start to get the calls the texts and the emails in from parents to say oh my child isn't on the bus and it always always upsets me and frustrates me when I hear of somebody whose child has been on the bus for many many years and suddenly oh sorry we don't have a seat this time around and that's the case of what happened to Evelyn because she said her eldest boy is in fourth class she said and he's been on the bus and the, the middle her middle son has been on the bus there's never been a problem and this was the first year that it was a problem and it, it's shocking the parents have to go to that effort for the last eight weeks fighting tooth and nail and actually running a campaign to get the bus uh, sorted. It's, it's, it really is uh, frustrating. So yes, that listener is right. Forward planning, they should start looking at this situation early in the summer and certainly not waiting for the government to come back after their summer recess, which is always the the middle of September. It's too late. The schools are well open at that stage and the hassle and the problems and the inconvenience that it's caused for families in, in the meantime, it's it's just dreadful. 0818103103. Heidi by WhatsApp says, Hi Patricia, I've seen this all over the news about Paris at the moment. They're having a really big problem with bed bugs. So let's, all, let's hope all hotels here in this country are keeping their eyes open to these little creatures because they get into luggage and that's how 
how they travel across countries. I have a fair knowledge of this as I worked in hotels over the years. There are sprays you can buy to kill those bed bugs. There are uh, indeed, Heidi. But I think the situation in Paris is even gone way worse than just uh, sprays. I heard, for example, of a, a hotel that cancelled all of their guests around a particular weekend uh, because they literally had to get exterminators in and they had to remove all the mattresses and all the bed ends and they were sending them away. It was the, the infestation was gone so bad it was gone beyond spraying. They literally had to destroy them and put in all new beds. It does seem to be a huge problem and I'm scratching now. You know this, when, what is it about when you talk about something like head lice or bed bugs or creepy crawlies? You instantly get uh, itchy. I literally am sitting here scratching um, but it, it, obviously for Irish people you need to be alert because the number of Irish people there's a, there's, a, there's a big rugby match going on this weekend and there's a lot of Irish people will be heading over to Paris for the weekend so be very very careful uh, because it, it does seem to be a huge huge problem and seemingly it's always been a problem Paris for I heard one person say that it's to do with the size of the city and the confined spaces that uh, the amount of people that live in such a small space, the footprint of Paris isn't as big as, say, other European cities. And that's one of the reasons that people live on top of each other. But they always seem to have, I know they have always had a cockroach issue in Paris, but seemingly a bed bug issue in hotels has always been a problem. But it's really bad this year. I mean, they literally have uh, infestations and seemingly people who are using the metro in Paris. I've seen video footage of, you can see the little, you can see the little bed bugs climbing over the seats. They're in the metro as well. So you do need to be and I'll have another good scratch now and we will move on but yeah and they do say um, that when you go into a hotel not and we all do it don't put your suitcase on the bed don't use the bed because that's how you can pick up the bed bugs they'll get into the suitcase and then of course you'll bring them home with you and if you've been anywhere where you do think there was uh, bed bugs remove all of the clothes and get them all into the wash and put them on a hot wash uh, as soon as uh, possible but yeah it's, it's just one of those awful stories word of warning please on a scam from Dunn Stores that is doing the rounds at the uh, moment. Uh, we've put details of this because it's, it really is catching out a lot of people. So we put details up on the C103 uh, website and it's also on our C103 um, app. And uh, it Dunn's themselves are coming out warning people about this. It's a scam that offers unreal discounts. But what it does then is see credit card details and your personal information. What the scammers have done is they've got a counterfeit website and it actually mimics the appearance and the layout of the genuine Dunn Stores site. So you think you're on a genuine Dunn Stores site and it's luring customers in. It's got, you know, things like discounts of like, like up to 65% off clothing. But what they do is, and all of the scammers will do this, they'll, it's, a, it's a limited offer. There's a countdown clock and it's designed to make the customers think this is urgent. It's time sensitive. You need to buy this item if you want it. You need to buy it now. 65% off. Unreal. Get out the credit card quickly. Log on. Give your personal details. Give your credit card details, give your address and then of course bang, you'll never receive the items and you'll also end up losing the money and could end up losing more money because they could clean out your uh, bank account so you need to be really, really careful uh, because I saw a TikTok video of it where they showed, they, they actually showed the website, it does look exactly like the Dunn Store website except I've never seen Dunn's advertised stuff where they put up 65% uh, off everything on the website so just be careful of that and it's an, a new one. But I 
don't know how new it is. I saw somebody say that it's been doing the rounds for a, about three months, but it seems to have really grown. But a number of people have got caught out on it. So do be careful. And thank you to Joe in Kilmallock, who is worried about me. Uh, uh, oh, oh, no, sorry, not Joe in Kilmallock. This is another Joe. Uh, Jack, sorry, Jack was on. He's a little bit worried about me. And he says, I need to be careful in case um, somebody is plotting to kidnap me. And the reason for that is because of the story that, of course, has come out. And I shouldn't be laughing because it isn't a funny story. This is a man who has been arrested. It was an alleged plot to kidnap Holly Willoughby. You know, Holly, who does the daytime this morning. She's a presenter on uh, This Morning and she actually pulled out of doing the show yesterday morning and she's at home now in her house in London and she's been guarded by the police. Essex police uh, said that the suspect was arrested on Wednesday on suspicion of conspiracy to kidnap Holly Willoughby. 36-year-old man uh, is uh, currently on the is an ongoing investigation, but he has been uh, arrested. The suspect wasn't known to uh, Hollaby and this morning were alerted to the alleged plot, according to the Sun uh, newspaper yesterday morning. And the presenter decided to pull out of the show. She obviously got really spooked by it. You can understand that. So she didn't go on air. Don't know if she's on air or not this morning. Um, But she was certainly, I know Lorraine Kelly was saying that she was just really, really upset. You can imagine if you were told we've arrested somebody who was about to kidnap kidnap you and I think as well for all of the female presenters in the UK last weekend last weekend the weekend before I can't remember I watched the Dil Dando um there's a new Netflix documentary about Jill Dando that dropped uh, in the last couple of weeks just re- reflecting again on the murder of Jill Dando and even though that was back in the 90s but that would have been very much back in their mindset again and you know people would have been reminded of it so I suppose all of those well-known uh, television stars would suddenly be thinking God you know that could have been any one of us what had happened to uh, Jill Dando so I suppose there was a bit of nervousness uh, about them as well but thank you to Jack I don't think there's anybody queuing up to kidnap me but thank you for your concern 0818 103 103 C103 Jobs O'Flynn and Tobin in Newmarket they're hiring for a shop assistant and a delivery driver call 025 605 72 A carpenter with some experience has wanted to work in Cork City and the surrounding areas now own tools and safe pass uh, essential CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com a preschool room leader is wanted for Skibbereen. CVs, please, to Skibbereen Community Playgroup at gmail.com. And please note the closing date is Monday, the 23rd of October. And an early years and school age childcare practitioner is wanted this time for working Kinsale. Contact Trish 087 947 5367. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. And you can stop texting us on our tickets to the National Menopause Summit on in City Hall on the 20th of October. Our winner for today is Elaine Foley in uh, Glenville. Congratulations, Elaine. You've won yourself a pair of uh, tickets. And for anybody else, if you'd like to find out more details about the summit or indeed if you'd like to purchase tickets, you can visit nationalmenopausesummit.com. Court today on C103. 
23. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, we are hoping here with this next interview that some common sense and some basic decency will prevail and that the Three Arena in Dublin, along with Ticketmaster, will make a wheelchair space available for my next guest and her husband, Joanne uh, Green, joins me to outline the dilemma she and her husband finds themselves in. Good morning to you, Joanne. Hi, Patricia. How uh, are you? I'm very well, and uh, you're welcome to the programme. And and I will talk to, talk in a moment um, about your husband Keith. But I suppose firstly, uh, it's next Friday, thirteenth of the Friday, the 13th, Friday the thirteenth. Yep. It's it's Luke Combs, yep. who is playing a sellout concert. For those that don't know, Luke Combs, tell me, he, t- tell me about an, Luke Combs. He's an American country singer, and Keith is absolutely obsessed with him. <laughs> are you a fan? I am, okay. absolutely. But Keith is the bigger fan. Yeah, well, Keith kind of pushed him on me, but so he grew on me. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, the two of us love him. Okay, so you would have purchased the tickets for next Friday when? Uh, September 2022. So I bought them as a surprise for Keith for Christmas. So a month, a, a year away, as traditionally happens, you buy the yeah. tickets knowing I've got a year, over a year to wait. Yeah. Um, now, the problem is when you purchased the tickets, you didn't need a wheelchair accessible No, seat. I bought standing tickets and then in October 2022, Keith had a stroke. Completely out of the blue? Uh, absolutely, yeah, just out of nowhere. And how has the stroke affected Keith? Uh, so Keith is in a wheelchair. Um, he has a severe loss of his left side, arm and leg at the moment so they're still he's in the NRH at the minute so they're still working on that at the moment So it's it's, it's classic when, when you think of somebody with a stroke they're paralysed down the, yeah. left, the left side and and what, yeah. what age is Keith? Uh, Keith was 34 when it happened he's 35 now My God and have, yeah. you, have you a family? Have you? Yeah we have a two year old Archie Wow Yeah and has he been is has he been home since it happened? No, no, he hasn't been home yet at all. Um, so we're coming up on a year now, Monday. And he's out in Dunleary, is it? Yeah. So he went to Beaumont Hospital first. He was there for four months, and then he went to Mullingar Regional Hospital. He was there for two months, three months, and now he's in Dunleary the last six months. And where was he when he had the stroke? Thankfully, we were at home because Keith is a truck driver. So thankfully, we were at home and he knew what was happening and he was able to tell me. He actually knew he was having a stroke? Well, I I won't say he knew he was having a stroke, but he knew definitely that was, there was something not right. Um, Like for a man that wouldn't even say he had a headache to ask for two Panadol. Like he basically straight away, he said, you need to ring an ambulance. And you did, and everything kicked yeah. in really, kicked in yeah. really quick. Oh, it was like a scene out of Grey's Anatomy. Was it? Yeah. Wow. And and I should mention at the outset, you're you're living in Athlone, but yeah. Keith, but Keith is from Castletown Bear. He is. And where were you originally from? Athlone. Okay. So how does how does Athlone and Castletown Bear meet? <laughs> <laughs> Keith asked me yesterday, "Are you going to tell them how we met?" If they asked, I said, "Well, do you mind?" And he said, "No, I'll tell them." So we met online. Great. Um, we met on the 30th of January 2019 and the rest is history. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You couldn't depict further away, though, could you? Uh, well, Keith was in Galway working. Ah. Yes, so, so he, that's, was... that's how he caught me. <laughs> and has yeah. he, he family still in is there many families still in Castletown Bear yeah 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 his mum and dad and he has a sister down there and a brother down there okay, and so he's another sister in Cork City tough on all of them trying to get up and down to see him is it yeah yeah it's tough on everybody now yeah yeah, yeah. okay so you have these two tickets to Luke Combs except they're standing tickets which obviously are of no use to Keith yeah and you got you. I take it you straight away got on to and okay he's well enough to come out of Dunleary to go to the concert yeah. is it, he is yeah yeah okay so you got on to the three arena and what did they say to be honest with you I didn't see a problem I thought they'd just let us in and we'd stay down the back and we'd have a good time it's only for two or three hours and you know we'd have a great time and that'd be it and I just said you know we better ring just to double check and the girl was very sympathetic on the phone, but basically was of no help and said that she couldn't help. Because all the wheelchair accessible slots are gone, She is said it? that uh, all the tickets are sold. It's a sold out gig and that if we wanted to come to the box office one hour beforehand, they'd see if they could do anything. And like, I, I can't really chance that. Like, how can we make the big trek from Dunleary over? for them to possibly say no. Like, I don't think that's very fair on Keith. And I take it to come from Dunleary. Will Will Dunleary facilitate, like, a, it needs to be a wheelchair accessible taxi or something? Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I can either drive so he can transfer into a car and he can travel that way or we probably just get a wheelchair taxi over. Yeah. Um, and you have standing tickets. So you, this sounds crazy. Could you just go in at the back and just stand at the back? Well, that's what I thought and that's what I assumed we'd do. And what did they say to that? They're saying no because they don't allow wheelchairs on the ground floor for fire and health safety. Oh, okay. So in the three arena, it's an, upst- it's an upstairs. Obviously, you go in a lift and there's a, there's, a, there's a section upstairs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now we've we made all the calls uh, yesterday and I, di- I do know John Paul was also talking to Luke Combs PR company. Yeah. And he's uh, she's saying they're 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 99.9% certain that if you you turn up on the night that there will be space, but you're fearful of doing that. Yeah, yeah, I am. Like 
if we get there and we get somebody on the door that's like, no, sorry, you can't stay on the floor. What, like, do I leave Keith sitting outside on his own in a wheelchair and go in and have a great time for myself? Like, mm. I can't do that. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, the only thing I will say, I've been in uh, once or twice in those wheelchair accessible areas. Um and what generally speaking happens is people will book and even if it is booked out, not everybody turns up because obviously you can have people who suddenly are not, are not well. Yeah. But, but I'm thinking of it from your point of view. It's, 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 it's taking the chance. It's, it's the effort that Keith's going to have to go to to get to yeah. the three arena. Yeah. And, and then, OK, let's see if anybody has any solution around this. Does anybody know? Have you been on to some people like the Irish Wheelchair Association? Uh, yeah, I actually got our medical social worker in the NRH to get on to the three arena and they're coming back basically. Same, same OK, we'll keep knocking on every door uh, that, that we can. And obviously, have you told Keith there might be a problem about the concert? I have, yeah. Oh, yeah. And like he said... In fairness to him, he said, Ash, look, at I can go the next time. And I was like, no, that's not good enough. No. It's not. We have our tickets. We're not looking for special treatment. We just want entry into the building. Yeah, you've paid for your tickets. You just yeah. want to get in to see who, who, who's Keith's idol. And you're a big fan as well. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm sure Luke Combs would be disgusted if we could get a message to Luke Combs. I'm sure he'd be raging if he heard, yeah. if he heard what was going on. When, jo, Joanne, when do you hope to have Keith home? Have you a deadline on that? Um, so he's nearly finished in the NRH at the minute. So we're hoping to get him into uh, our home isn't suitable at the minute. So we're hoping to get him into a house in Mount Bolas. It's with Acquired Brain Injury Ireland, who I've heard amazing things about. Um, so it's an independent um, living house. Okay. So hopefully he gets in there and he can become a little bit more independent. You know, he's been in hospital for a long time. Yeah. He's so used to everybody doing everything for him. Do you know, sometimes he forgets he can do things himself, you know. I know. And is the long term plan then, will you have to do a lot of adaptation on your own house? Um, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Now, the long term goal is Keith wants to walk and he absolutely is doing everything in his power to achieve that. Bless his heart. Uh, he's, he's, he sounds like a, a, a guy with a, a tough spirit and a fighting spirit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how how is um, Archie? Is it Archie? You said your little fella. Yeah. How yeah, is he's, he's good? Um, and yeah. he goes to see his daddy every week, so he gets up to the NRH to see him every Sunday for a couple of hours, which is great. And of course, you know, he's so young; he knows nothing else at this stage. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny when we get to the top of the road. I say, "Where are we?" And he'll say, "Daddy, home." Ah, you know, yes. yeah. He knows. He knows where we are. And the Enhart, the, the, the Dunleary is meant to be incredible in oh, as ever. Oh, yeah. of the art, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's one it of those is. places nobody wants to go there, but when no, you end up there, no, you but know. when you need it, yeah. when you need it, there's no better place to be. And Joanne, how are you doing? Good, yeah, one foot in front of the other. Yeah, you know, you have no choice. No, I have no choice. Not. Listen, no. pass on our best wishes to uh, uh, Keith and um, we'll we'll keep knocking on all the doors here and we'll keep our fingers and toes and everything crossed. It's Friday the 13th, let's hope. Yeah. It's, it's a lucky Friday the 13th yes, for Joanne and Keith. Listen, yeah. thanks a million for, for joining us on the programme this morning.
Thank you so much for having me. God bless. Take care. Bye bye. That is uh, Joanne Green. If they haven't enough to be battling with, wouldn't you think? Um, okay. So what we need is anyone who's, I, I've never been to the wheelchair accessible section of the three arena. I don't know how big it is, um, or not. As I say, I've been in some wheelchair accessible areas. The one at the marquee is always fantastic when we've taken Marsha along. She doesn't necessarily need a wheelchair accessible spot. Um, but if it's going to be a very crowded event, it's easier for us to have her in an area like that where she kind of has, has space on her own. There's always lots of space there uh, for uh, wheelchairs. But I don't know how they operate. Are they very tight on spaces in the three arena? If anybody else has a solution that we haven't thought about, we're trying everything that we can and knocking on as many doors as possible uh, to make sure that poor Keith gets to this uh, concert. And, you know, he needs at this stage with everything that's going on, he needs uh, a little bit of um, a lift. And and I saw because uh, I saw Joanne, she put it up at, oh, um, on social media, I think it was on, on Instagram. And one of the hashtags was, was let's, let's get Keith to his first ever concert and if anybody deserves to go to that concert Keith but so does his uh, wonderful uh, partner Joanne Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie Cork today on C103 And we're stronger when together Ours to protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info This week on Ours to Protect we look at a sustainable alternative to traditional burials or cremation in today's world, where the ecosystem and the future of the planet are being seriously challenged by a rapidly growing population, we need to consider our choices more thoughtfully. Pure Reflections, founded by Elizabeth Oakes, is Ireland's first resumerium, offering a green, eco-friendly and gentle alternative to flame cremation and burial. For decades, there have been just two main choices when it comes to end-of-life arrangements, burial and cremation. As our impact on the world's precious resources becomes even more apparent, the demand for more sustainable options grow. Elizabeth explains what resumation is. So basically what water cremation is, it's a very environmentally friendly alternative to flame cremation and burial. We use 95% water and 5% of an alkaline solution. And what that does is it basically speeds up the decomposition of the body. Uh, It's done under very controlled conditions. Uh, and the, the, the family still receive an urn containing the, the ash of their loved ones. According to National Geographic, cremation requires a lot of fuel and it results in millions of tonnes of carbon dioxide emissions every year, enough that some environmentalists are trying to rethink the process. The average US cremation, for instance, takes up about the same amount of energy and has the same emissions as about two tanks of petrol in an average car. Water cremation has been independently shown to have the lowest and indeed little environmental impact at all compared to burial and flame cremation. And that may be enough to allow the individual to choose it. Sustainability is a major selling point for water cremation as those preparing for their death weigh up the environmental impacts of their burial. Traditional burial, despite relying on natural decomposition to break down remains, can lead to embalming fluid seeping into the soil. Figures from Resumation Limited, the founding body for water cremation, state that one water cremation releases just 28 kg of CO2 into the atmosphere. There's also no mercury released into the atmosphere during the process. Well, it uses 10 times less energy 
the family actually receives 30% more of their loved one because it's such a gentle process. All the prosthetics are completely unharmed and can be recycled or donated. Um, and as well as that, the water that... So the water, once it finishes the process, it goes for treatment and it's completely sterile before it's released back to the system. It's a very gentle, natural process. We have an open-door policy in our Resmerium Navin. So even last weekend, I had a family up to view the facility to understand the process so that they could see everything in detail and understand it. So as I say, we're very open and transparent in everything that we do. Pure Reflections has an extensive network of affiliated funeral directors nationwide, having established strong partnerships, ensuring that their services are accessible to families no matter where they're located. The network allows them to provide seamless coordination, whether you're planning a funeral locally or require assistance in another part of the country. Well, we work in affiliation with all the funeral directors nationwide. So if somebody passes away, the family can now go into the funeral establishment and just like they would have asked for burial or cremation, they can now ask for resumation. And we have our own um, chapel on site in Navin for the final committal and that's then where where the machine and everything is based. At a time that we're driving electric cars, drinking lattes from keep cups and ordering vegan sausages, our homes are being installed with solar panels, we're sporting 20 compost bins and planting more trees, We're changing how we live. We reduce our carbon footprint with many of our day-to-day choices. We recycle and we reuse. We drive clean, pure energy from the sun. But is it also time to look at doing our bit for the planet when we die? It's been in America and Canada for a long time now, and it's just really in the last, I suppose, 10 years, it's gained huge popularity. I was only talking to a funeral director in America last week and he has both a flame cremator and a water cremation facility and he said 95% of families will now choose the water over flame cremation when they're given the option. To learn more about resumation, visit purereflections.ie or check the show notes of this episode. And we're stronger when to protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours2protect.ie for more info. And thanks to Barry for ours to uh, protect uh, episode. I, I was fascinated by that uh, resumation. I heard about it. I, I actually, I think it was the, the that same girl that Barry was speaking to there from that uh, company, uh, Pure Reflections. I'd never heard of resumation before. I remember the first time I heard about it. I think it was earlier this year. I remember googling it. Go, what that is a resumation? And it, it is exactly as she outlined. It is water uh, cremation, and, and you know people are getting more environmentally friendly in how. We live our lives and, you know, while some people like the tradition of burial, um, others feel for when it comes to cremation, it is very environmentally friendly and that maybe water cremation is the way to uh, go. As I say, thanks to Barry for that. Now, a call in about, oh, this is to do with the HSC funded agencies and listener wants to know, are they still going ahead? Is that strike still going ahead in uh, two weeks time? Um, the caller is worried because her son has a PA uh, who he needs 
to come into the house every day to get him out of bed in order for him to lead an independent life as possible. And of course, uh, the PAs and all the PAs from the Irish Wheelchair Association who who uh, provide most of the, the PAs to wheelchair-bound people around uh, the country, uh, certainly they will all be uh, going on strike. And But I did read that the Taoiseach has been called to get involved in this because it was a coalition of umbrella bodies who represent hundreds of the charities and the voluntary organisations who provide health and social services on behalf of the government. They've now written to the uh, Taoiseach and they're asking him uh, for urgent and immediate intervention because this dispute threatens to deprive thousands of service users and um, uh, of supports and it's happening in the middle of this month. There's about 5,000 workers will go out on uh, strike, you know, the, the likes of Enable Ireland. Um, here uh, in Cork, you know, we're going to have the people like uh, with the Cope Foundation. You're going to have the um, services of uh, like St. Joseph's Foundation. Um, it just it's it's literally going to affect organisations all over the country. And I think what's unusual about this particular strike is the employers, uh, they're the charities and the voluntary organisations affected. They're all supporting their workers when it comes to this pay claim because the employers are saying they're having a problem trying to retain staff because staff can get better pay and better con- conditions by moving into the public sector and that they're being tempted away. So trying to recruit staff and then retain them is a huge, huge problem for them. And they're arguing that the government ultimately, they retain control over the situation because it's the government funding that dictates the level of pay. So seven chief executives and uh, chairs at Umbrella Bodies representing organisations all went in under the auspices of the wheel and uh, they, uh, that's the National Association of Charities and they've now delivered a letter to uh, Leo Varadkar and they say they're extremely concerned because we're now halfway through the period of the strike notice. When the strike notice was given, there was four weeks and I remember at the time people said, ah, four weeks, it'll be fine, it'll, it'll get sorted. We're halfway through that and according to Ivan Cooper of The Wheel, there is yet no evidence of any progress um, or serious initiative to resolve the matter. So all of the charities now and this is the chief executives and the chairs of all of the charities, they've written and they say an intervention by the Taoiseach now to ensure delivery of adequate sustainable government funding to retain these staff uh, is uh, essential. And the the planned industrial action, it's part of the campaign for pay parity by the so-called Section 39 uh, workers. Now they do the very same work as their colleagues in the HSE and the Section 38 voluntary organisations, but they receive substantially at lower pay. I mean, currently, I think the gap is about €4.20 per hour between Section 39 and Section 38 employees. I mean, that is a massive, massive uh, disparity and something is going to have to happen. But our listener, as our listener says, her son needs a PA. And actually, I saw one of the papers today. A lot of the papers are kind of focusing in on people who are going to be affected if this strike uh, does uh, go ahead and I was reading about a, um, a gentleman, young man, a 24-year-old by the name of John Marr. He's actually legally blind and he's cerebral palsy and he's a wheelchair uh, user and he's very much uh, worried about this strike going ahead because he needs a personal assistant every day who comes in, he dresses him, washes him and then prepares his meals and you know gets allows him to lead as independent a life as possible. And his big worry is that this strike is due to happen on the 17th of October and it's an indefinite um, 
strike and he's fearful because on the 19th, two days later, he has what he calls a very important uh, appointment at Kappa Hospital and he's probably been waiting on this appointment for God knows uh, how long and he's worried that if the strike goes ahead, he won't be able to go to that appointment because he can't go uh, without his PA and there's a lot of people in similar situations uh, like that. So hopefully, hopefully uh, some progress will be made with the, with now two weeks to go and maybe there will be some intervention from the Taoiseach. We've got to get some tickets away for Thunderland. This is our final set of uh, tickets. The winner today gets three tickets and passes. So for you and two of your friends or family members to go along to Thunderland Autumn at Creamfields Tremore Road, open every night until 10am with free supervised parking and you can check out further information about Thunderland on their Facebook page. Okay, we ha- all this week we have been giving you two possible names of a Thunderland ride. You have to tell us which one is correct. Which one is a genuine Thunderland ride and the other one we just simply made up. Oh, I think today's one is easy because this is one of my favourite Thunderland rides. Uh, is there a Thunderland ride called a waltzer or is it called a tangoer? So a waltzer or a tangoer? Uh, which answer is correct? Which of those is a Thunderland ride? We need you to text or WhatsApp the answer. You can give us A for waltzer or B for tangoer, whichever you think is the correct answer, but you need to put your name and address. It is important, importantly, is that you put your name and address on it as well. Now, you can text or you can WhatsApp, whichever you prefer to do, 0862103103. And the lines will remain open for about 10 minutes. And then from all of the correct answers, and I'm hoping they'll all be correct today, we will select our winner. So which of these is a Funderland ride? Is it A, waltzer or B, tangoer? which is the correct one and which did we make up. As I say, you can check out all about Funderland on their Facebook. But it's at Creamfields on the Tremor Road open every night um, until 10am. Now, some of your thoughts coming in. I've been asked to give a shout out to Luke O'Brien and all of Luke's teammates of SARS GAA in Riverstown who played Bishopstown last night on the 4G pitch. The hurling, according to Finbar at SARS Fields, they produced for young boys was simply outstanding. So take a bow, uh, Luke O'Brien and all of his uh, teammates. We were speaking in the last hour with poor old uh, Joanne Green and her husband Keith who a year ago bought their tickets to the Luke Combs uh, concert which is on this night week in the three arena and little were they to know that within a month of purchasing those tickets uh, Keith suffered a devastating stroke now finds himself in a wheelchair but he's a huge huge fan and Joanne really wants to take him along to the concert and obviously he's been looking forward uh, to it as well only to discover there are no wheelchair accessible spaces left at the three arena because obviously when they purchased their tickets last year they were not to know within a month that Keith was going to suffer a devastating stroke and that Keith was going to need a wheelchair accessible seat. Nobody could uh, predict that. So we're doing our very best uh, to try to knock on as many doors as possible to see if we can guarantee that Keith will be able to get in. As I say, we have been told that they're nearly certain they'll be able to fit him in, but she's just fearful of having to bring him out from Dunleary, where he is in the National Rehabilitation Centre. And, you know, getting the transport to get him into the three arena and then to get there and then suddenly to discover, oh sorry, we don't have a space for you. I can actually understand where Joanne uh, is coming from. But um, a listener in Skibreen is making the point, isn't it utter madness that they would have wheelchair accessible seats upstairs? What if there was a fire? You can't use lifts if there is a, a fire. And I checked on the three arena page because Joanne was saying she has standing tickets. They are the tickets she bought and they don't allow anybody in a wheelchair on the ground 
floor and they say that's for health and safety uh, reasons. So they do have wheelchair accessible uh, spaces but they are on the next floor up from the ground floor and there is a lift and you can get the lift and you go to the next floor and that's where all the disabled uh, seating area is. But yeah, I haven't thought about that. You would have thought that most disabled seating would be on the ground floor but it's not for the three arena. Wheelchairs are not permitted on the ground floor during any concert and that they say is down to uh, health and safety reasons but let's keep our fingers crossed for Joanne and for Keith and that Keith does get to that concert next week and we will keep you updated. 0818103103 I mentioned uh, earlier on it was it came in as a breaking news story from um I think it was Virgin Media were the first to break it, but I see all the news services have it now that the former Labour leader and government minister, Brendan Howland, has announced this morning he's not going to run in the uh, next uh, election. He had been leader of the Labour uh, Party and then he stood down in 2020, having uh, succeeded Joan Burton in 2016. So I gave that a mention and straight away, Joe and Kim Alec was on to say, was it not Brendan Howland, along with the Fine Gael Party, who introduced the local property tax? Uh, so for me, I'm happy to hear that at this, uh, that I'm happy to hear this news that he has decided to step down. Labour didn't do much at that time for the working person in Joe's uh, view. I, and I suppose if I had Brendan Howland here, he would defend it by saying at the time he was Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform. And when he took over as Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, it was during the EU IMF bailout. Uh, the Labour, Joe was right, were in coalition with uh, Fine Gael. And of course, in an effort then to address the financial crisis that the then government was required to introduce because of that EU IMF uh, bailout, they had to introduce significant uh, cost cuts. And Brendan Howland, as Minister for Public Expenditure, ov- oversaw significant spending reductions, which were really controversial at the time. And particularly within the Labour Party membership. And I remember he took a lot of stick uh, for it at the uh, time. But he has been a member of, I think he's about 30 years, if not more. I'm sure I heard, saw an, um, online during the news, Ivana Bakchik talking about he's donated, he has given up 40 years of his life to uh, politics. Yeah, uh, she says, they say that a week is a long time in politics, but after 40 years, Brendan Howland has done the state and his beloved Wexford some uh, service. But for Joe and Kilmallock, wasn't a fan of Brendan Howland. 0818 lines are open for people who feel that Ireland should stop taking in refugees. We've been talking a bit about this uh, across this week and people are saying, look, we have a housing crisis. We're trying to do the best that we can in this country. Have we not taken enough and should we close our doors? And some people feel that our borders should be closed, but the government are, are adamant they're certainly not going to close the doors. But some are saying, should we not do it until the housing crisis, until that's been at least sorted out? Well, it has been reported that Ireland is a country we may pay to not accept asylum seekers from safe places in other parts of the European Union. Now, this is according to the Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar. He said, Ireland will not turn migrants away, but he said as part of a new European deal on migration, which reached a breakthrough earlier this week, the state may in the future pay into a fund and will pay into the fund rather than accepting more asylum seekers uh, into our country. This breakthrough deal by the European leaders, it will see countries uh, 
which receive large numbers of what they call irregular migrants. Those countries then will be asked, will be able to ask fellow EU member states for either money or help in processing asylum claims or they will be asked, can you take some of the migrants, please? We've got too many in our country. So the European political community meeting was held in Spain this week and Leo Varadkar said countries will be able to either accept the migrants who are already in other parts of Europe or instead will make a financial contribution to that country or into a fund so other countries will look after the migrants. Now, he said Ireland has taken in more than 100,000 migrants over the past uh, two years and he said we're struggling to uh, house them. He says, I don't think we're really in a position to accept more what he's calling voluntary uh, transfers. He said, not until we get on top of the our own accommodation crisis. He says, that's not to say that we'll turn away people that come to our, our shores. He said, we won't. But he said, volunteering to take more people. He said, that's a different thing entirely. He said, he thinks from Ireland's point of view, it wouldn't really be a case of taking a quota of refugees. He said, we're already uh, receiving huge, huge uh, numbers. And he did, he did openly accept that we are struggling at the moment uh, to accommodate the numbers that we all already have. Now, in this deal that was signed off this week by all of the European uh, leaders, uh, it's been in the making since 2015 and it's what it's going to do is it's going to see more cooperation and tighter EU borders. But what, what kind of struck me was it's a deal that they've been looking at since 2015 and it gets finally signed off in 2023. It's a very different world landscape if you're talking about asylum seekers and refugees. 2023 is very different to 2015. I mean, nobody could have predicted what was going to happen with Putin invading Ukraine and the numbers then that, you know, flowed out of Ukraine in order to find somewhere safe uh, to be. So nobody could have predicted that. So you wonder, you know, when they signed off on that deal, do they need to look at that deal again? Because there are countries who've taken huge, huge numbers of Ukrainian refugees and that's on top of people fleeing other countries who come to uh, claim asylum. But, you know, I think he's calling it out for what it is and saying that we are struggling uh, already to accommodate the numbers that we are here to the point that we have Ukrainian refugees along with asylum seekers living in tents and uh, tents might be all well and good in the summer months but we're coming into the winter months and you know that situation is uh, I, I don't know how that situation is going to sort itself out 0818 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and our 10 minutes are up on our Thunderland competition and we have a winner for today huge entry again uh, we asked you to correctly identify which of these is a Thunderland and ride. Is it the Walser or is it the Tangor? It is, of course, the Walser, which I have to say uh, is my favourite uh, fairground ride of uh, all. And our winner today is Diane Bottomer, Dundero in Kinsale. Congratulations, uh, Diane. You have won uh, tickets for you and two others to go along to uh, Funderland Autumn at the Creamfields on the Tamore Road, open every night until 10pm with free supervised uh, parking. If you want to find out more about Funderland, you can check it all out on their Facebook page. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie.
Rockchapel National School Parents Association. They're hosting a fashion show in Rockchapel Community Centre. It's tonight at eight o'clock with many local shops displaying their wares. Now, there will be a door prize and many spot prizes on the night. Now, tickets are available from the parents at Rockchapel National School Parents Association or they will be available on the door tonight as well. Liam Umwainley plays an intimate show at St George's Arts and Heritage Centre in Mitchellstown tonight at eight. Tickets from Eventbrite and at local outlets, Reedy's Kitchen Market, The Favourite and Roaches uh, Spa. The third event in uh, Women's Health, the Menopause Series, is being held today in the Old Mill in Castletown at Roach. If you'd like to get uh, more details, you can email getactivegetconnected at gmail.com. Strand United Soccer Club in Vickerstown are holding a golf classic to mark their 40th anniversary and that's going on at Blarney Golf Resort. And Clonakilty Camera Club will exhibit their work in the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Garbury. It opens tonight at 7. The exhibition will be on display in the hotel over the coming 12 months and proceeds from the sales will go to the Meals on Wheels in Clon. And social dancing on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic uh, tonight with music by Adrian Ryan dancing from 9 to 12. Midnight at Mitch and 10 Euro. It does include teas. And Caldallery Bingo that's on tonight at 8 in the store at the Creamery Yard with a jackpot 2000 550 euro. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Court today at C103.ie. Today on C103. And when I mentioned the uh, local property tax, so many people, it, it's kind of a, a little bit like the universal social charge. People hate paying the universal social charge, but the local property tax is another one that irks a lot of people. Somebody says, Trisha is an old age pensioner. I think it is disgraceful having to pay what is, I will only describe as an unfair tax, i.e., the local property tax. We pay it on our homes that we work so hard to buy and to build. They really need to get rid of it and get rid of it now. Now, and that comes in from Mary, who just really gets annoyed whenever the local property tax is mentioned. Well, there's been no talk of getting rid of the local property tax. There certainly has been a push for the USE uh, charge, and it looks like it is going to be reduced in the budget. But there's a lot of other people who would like to see the USE charge abolished because that got introduced following the IMF EU uh, bailout when this country was on its knees and we were told it would be temporary. And here we go, years later, it's, st- it's still there, but at least there is talks of some kind of a reduction. And John heard me talk about the workers who are going on strike on the 17th of October. These are workers in the HSE funded agencies, the so-called Section 39 workers who do the very same work as their colleagues in the HSE and in the Section 38 voluntary organisations, but they receive substantial substantially at lower pay and because of that they've been fighting this corner for quite some time they are now uh, threatening um, 
an indefinite strike and I think that's what's putting worrying so many people it's not just that it's going to be a one day strike and that people can organise and arrange for somebody to come in and care for their loved ones or you know people who rely on PAs can get somebody to, to help them out but this is indefinite nobody knows how long this is going to go on for John was on to say whatever these people need they should get straight away those people who are disabled and their carers should be looked after so many people are now prisoners in their own homes while they're caring for their loved ones how many times have we heard uh, the word that we have to fight for our loved ones. So I would call on all the politicians across all parties to please do something and get this sorted out. It is the most vulnerable in society who are affected by this. Our government seem to be obsessed with things that are happening all around the world. We see them visiting the United Nations, Brussels, all other countries. And yet this is going on here at home and nothing seems to be done about it. 0818 103 103. And just as talking about vulnerable people and families fighting for their loved ones, we've been talking this week about APRI, the nursing home in Belgoolie that's going to close. And we knew it was going to close because it got announced in August it would be closing in six months. But then families were shocked to get emails, uh, I think in most cases, to say that the nursing home is closing in three weeks and you better sort something out for your loved one. And it's causing huge problems for families who were already scrambling to try to get, you know, a, a suitable nursing home for their for their uh, loved ones. And then we heard that the HSE has moved in and they are, well, they're not taking over the nursing home, but they're helping the families to facilitate the families uh, to find uh, appropriate nursing homes. And we've been speaking with Senator Tim Lombard on it. And he did say when we were talking about it earlier in the week that there's more to, he reckons there's more to come on this story. Obviously, you know, he knows and he's hearing uh, stuff that he can't talk about at the moment, but he said there is more to come um, to come out on this story. Lo and behold, on the front page of the Examiner uh, today, there is a story about this APRI uh, living. Uh, and they, I think they've got about 10 nursing homes in uh, total. And it seems the health sector watchdog, HICWA, has now referred a number of APRI living nursing homes to Angarda Shia Corner. And they've identified financial and fire safety concerns in inspection reports. Inspectors found financial irregularities in six of the homes, including some cases where residents' money was used to run the nursing home are money wasn't returned to families when a resident passed away. Isn't that shocking? They also found significant high risks in relation to fire safety in a number of the homes. And as I mentioned, when I was talking with with Tim Lambert about the home that's going to close in Belgooley. When I started to do some research on it, and lo and behold, I discovered that the, the Apri Living Nursing Home in Ballygunner in County Waterford, that had its registration cancelled last month. Um, so that's another nursing home that is closing. And Angarda Siakona have confirmed they're currently carrying out an assessment of the matters in the referral from HICWA to determine whether an investigation is required. A criminal investigation hasn't commenced at this time and it seemingly it all came out. There was, I think it must have been an Oireachtas uh, committee meeting and one Fine Gael, a senator was saying, you know, is there 
should we be looking at a Garda investigation? And seemingly, yeah, it came out from HICWA that they have recently reported, particularly to do with the financial integrity. Now, somebody in a nursing home, my God, if they are not the most vulnerable, relying on care 24-7 and to think that their money, their own personal money was being taken from them is truly shocking. So as they say, there is more uh, on this, certainly on this story than just uh, nursing home. As bad as it is to hear of a nursing home closing down. 0818103103. Did you know that uh, today is National Potato Day? It's uh, Board, Board B's National Day to celebrate the humble uh, spud. And Board B uh, say it is an opportunity for us to celebrate the taste, the versatility and the nutritional benefits of potatoes. Potatoes are Ireland's most preferred and they still are Ireland's number one vegetable. Board Bia say that with the current cost of living pressures, potatoes remain one of the best value for money ingredients as well as being a good source of dietary fibre. So, the king and queen of the air fryer recipes, who are they? They are Gina and Carol Daly. They've joined up with Board Bia and they went out on the streets to ask Irish people what they think and it was very very clear from this very quick vox pop that the potato remains the nation's favourite vegetable Oh I love my potatoes mashed I like roast potatoes as well Do you like potatoes? I do like doesn't everybody like potatoes? Absolutely What is this? That is a potato kind of potato Uh, Roast potato? I usually steam them more healthier So potatoes are fat free Gluten-free are a source of vitamin C. Which one? Source of vitamin C and they're gluten-free, I'd say, I think. And fact, you're all three. Yeah. We sort of three-quarters way cook a potato, then grate it, squeeze out the starch, and then drop it into the air fryer and it crisps up. I'm hungry now. <laughs> What's your favourite way to have potatoes? Just roast. Roast. <laughs> roast or creamy mash. Sounds delicious. They're like my favourite food. So the air fryer is a huge part of the potato experience in my house. Do you know, Jean, that potatoes are fat-free, <laughs> gluten-free <laughs> and full of vitamin C? For recipe inspiration, head over to boardbea.ie to find some tasty ways you can cook potatoes at home. There you go. That's just a little quick vox pop because we're celebrating National Potato Day. It's interesting listening to all the voices on the roast potato, whatever it is about a really good, nice roast potato, crispy on the outside and fluffy on the inside. And the other one that seemed to be uh, very popular as well was the the fluffy mashed potato. Absolutely nothing like it. So I hope you're enjoying National Potato Day. 0818 103 103. You're going to take a break and we're back talking movies with Mark Malone. Court today on C1 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Friday afternoon. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joining us. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Patricia. You're very welcome. Okay, two movies for us The Creator and The Retirement Plan. And here is a quick trailer from The Creator. The next marvelous advancement in robotics is artificial intelligence. We should never have let AI out of the box. There isn't anything they can't do. They cook our meals. They drive our cars. Keeping the peace, they are our civil servants. The future's never looked better. 
Now I'm wondering is this going to put the fear of God in people because that <laughs> we should never have let uh, AI out of the box. There's already mm-hmm. so much talk about that, about people saying what if AI takes over? Yeah and ironically the people who wrote this were on strike for five months there because of AI which is kind of interesting. <laughs> now, the, now the thing about you, you have to take you have to take into account in this film is that the film doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily pro or anti-AI, it's pro-technology. Okay. Uh, but you basically have to kind of make up your, your own decision really so uh, they, they keep that kind of rather vague which I think is very very clever indeed and it's a very very clever movie. It's directed by a guy by the name of Gareth Edwards who um, made Godzilla and he made Rogue One which is probably uh, the best of the Star Wars movies of recent times. Okay. Uh, he also directed a film called uh, Monsters Way Back which I reviewed uh, which was a very very cheap movie that he made. He went down to South America with his pals with a small little camera and basically they, he filmed them uh, talking to each other whilst in the background there are references to monsters and what he did was because he's a uh, he went home basically and um, and matted monsters onto the film himself in his bedroom I mean he's that really really clever and the film was a big big success and of course because of that then he got a, a reputation for being very very good uh, when it comes to special effects this movie cost 80 million dollars and the thing is is that if you look at the, uh, the film and you compare it to some of the recent uh, budgets uh, that films have got it, this looks like a 300 million dollar uh, well, budget movie but he's able to make small movies by doing a lot of the special effects himself and what he does is uh, for example with this film he he, he does a lot of practical uh, photography he doesn't really use sets uh, he goes on location uh, he films everybody doing their thing and then mats in all the special effects now you might think that's going to be a bit creaky and look mm. a bit odd because we've seen some really really bad special effects recently we saw it for example uh, with uh, Indiana Jones and that was Industrial Light and Magic and you think that that's going to be really good and some of it was really ropey but for some reason the way in which he mixes practical effects and, uh, and practical filming and uh, special effects he does it very very well so this film even though it cost only 80 million it looks like a 300 million dollar movie I mean it really does and um, and it looks extraordinary and you do spend the whole time uh, you know just marvelling at just how good it is I mean he's very very clever when it comes to, to this kind of thing so basically the story is robots uh, and humans are at war and John David Washington he's uh, given the job to uh, eradicate uh, not only AI, but to also eradicate uh, the robot's uh, secret weapon, uh, which will destroy humanity. When he finds the weapon, he finds that it's actually a robot, but it's in the form of this very, very young child. And he decides, well, look, I can't kill this child, even if it is a robot. And so therefore he goes on the run with her. Uh, So being followed by the robots, who of course want their secret weapon back, and of course by the American government, uh, who uh, want to destroy this uh, secret weapon. And, And so it's basically it's kind of a chase movie, yeah. really, when you think about it. And, and um, who's the child in it? Uh, the, the child is uh, a, a, a girl by the name of, um, I have it written down here somewhere, at least I thought I had. Um, I is she good? She's absolutely extraordinary, yeah, which is, and she's way better, I can tell you, than John David Washington. I've had problems with him in the past. I mean, I saw him in Tenet, and I remember thinking he's not very good. He's Denzel's son. And you oh, would think. Washington, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Denzel is an extraordinary actor. Yeah. And, um, but this guy, I, I was very, very disappointed with his performance. I think he's the weak spot in this. This whole film. Uh, there was, there's a lot of talk about kind of originality in Hollywood. We saw it with uh, Barbenheimer and people think, well, at least this is original. It's an original story. Uh, you know, it has nothing to do with sequels or, or IPs or anything. But the thing is, it, what lets it down is that um, um, Gareth Edwards obviously references loads of other sci-fi movies like um, District 9 and Elysium and many, many more. And that's its fault for me because I spent the whole time watching this going, I've seen an awful lot of this before. This all looks very familiar. The script is very, very 
similar, in fact, uh, to uh, Rogue One, which he made a couple of years ago. And that, for me, is its only downfall, apart from uh, Washington, that is, it's visually stunning. It really is absolutely fabulous. Uh, and, and that's where I, I spent the whole time thinking, this is extraordinary. And I did see it on a big screen. I'm glad to be able to say uh, the score by Hans Zimmer is very, very good, too. I've also had problems with Hans Zimmer in the past, yeah. I think. Uh, but I think the score in this is very, very good. There are too many action sequences. They obviously decided to bloat the running time for some reason. Um, and I got bored with some of the action sequences, which didn't make any sense. They didn't kind of uh, revolve around the plot. Or didn't the plot. add anything to the plot. No. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and that's where, I, on occasions, uh, I felt myself kind of drifting off ever so slightly. But look, I'm certainly going to recommend it. I think it's visually amazing. And um, I think uh, and there's lots to enjoy And go watch it here. on the big screen. Well, certainly, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 I saw it on the Mac screen. Uh, I believe it, uh, you know, uh, we don't say it's a pity we don't have an IMAX screen. But apparently on IMAX, it really, really is, is extraordinary. He's used this new camera, which apparently is quite cheap uh, to, to use, which is going to revolutionise uh, the cost of a lot of films as well. And uh, he's done it in huge kind of widescreen, uh, which a lot of um, filmmakers don't uh, do these days. Yeah, visually, it's stunning and it is entertaining, but it is a bit long and uh, it has its problems, but I'd certainly recommend it. OK, mark it out of 10. I'll give it eight. Eight out of 10. That's the uh, creator. Now, your second movie is The Retirement Plan. Uh, Nicholas Cage, another Nicholas oh. Cage movie. Um, <laughs> He's made a lot of movies, isn't he? Yeah. Do you remember uh, back in the nineties? Of course, he was a big, big star, and yeah. then, of course, we mentioned this before. He got this huge tax bill, and uh, he realised he had to pay it off. So then he just he he, he kind of set out to be in every single movie he ever made, and a lot of them were like garbage. any any one that came at him with a check. Basically, they they wave a check at him, and he'd say, "Was he even reading the script? When do you want me?" Yeah. And some <laughs> of these movies were really, really terrible. Uh, but he's had a bit of a renaissance over the last uh, couple of years Great. or so. Like he was in Willie's. Wonderland, which I like very much indeed. A brilliant film called Pig, which was fabulous. Uh, the last film that I remember him in was The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which I really, really liked indeed as well. This is a small film that they made in the Cayman Islands. They only made it for about uh, 20 million. And um, he obviously is having an awful lot of fun. And um, and when you see at least, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage having fun, we all have fun as mm. well. So basically his daughter gets into trouble with this bad guy. And uh, she has this flash drive. There's this constant running joke throughout the film that they keep referring to it as a hard drive. But people has to point out, no, it's, it's a flash drive. It's not a hard drive. So that's, a, that's, a, that's actually quite funny. So she has this uh, flash drive that uh, this bad guy wants. Um, she has a daughter with her. She goes on the run and she goes to the Cayman Islands to see if she can um, get some help from her father. We meet Nicolas Cage. He's a beach bum. He's living uh, uh, basically on the beach. He's fast asleep on the beach when we first meet him. And in the Cayman Islands, we're a better place to do it. Exactly, yeah. And uh, But we find, we find out that uh, Nicolas Cage, although he says he's in his late 60s, He's in the film. He's got big, big white beard. He's got you no know, grey hair. Turns out that he has a bit of a hidden background because he used to work for the CIA. So he has a particular set of skills. So he goes into battle with these uh, bad guys who uh, come from the mainland uh, to the um, to the Cayman Islands. Um, not all of it works. It's, it is incredibly violent, uh, but it's also funny. There's a lot of humour in the film. Some of it works. Some of it doesn't. There's a very silly scene, for example, with these three guys knocking his hotel door, and um, he says to his daughter, "Open the door." I'll pull in one bad guy because I can handle one, slam the door. And uh, so they do that. He takes care of the bad guy. But the two uh, remaining bad guys just stand outside going, well, what was that all about? But, and it's, <laughs> it's very, it, it, it doesn't really, really quite work. Do you know what I mean? And um, the direction from a guy by the name of uh, Tim Brown, who has directed a number of times before, it's, 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 some of the uh, action sequences are very clunkily done, actually. And uh, I wish, you know, that they were a little bit better. Um, the best character in it is uh, Ron Perlman, who plays the character of Bobo which was the name of my first dog, by the way. Can I point it? Um, 
What I liked about him was that he wasn't just your normal bad guy. He had kind of hidden depths. There's a lovely scene with him and uh, Nicholas Cage's granddaughter where uh, they start reading Othello. And uh, he says, look, I'm going out. I'll be back in five minutes and I'll be asking questions. You know, and so yeah. they'd give him kind of uh, a lot of depth. And I really, really enjoyed that. I don't think the bad guy, whose name is Jackie Earl Haley, was particularly well cast. I think he's miscast. The budget of this was 20 million. Unfortunately, in its opening weekend, it only made 745,000, which, oh, which is the lowest ever uh, opening weekend for a Nicholas Cage oh. film, which is a shame. Look, it is very violent. Uh, the swearing is, is, is top-notch. I mean, it's, it's turned up to Constant. 11, so keep that in mind. Yeah. I think it's about a 15 or 16 cert. Now, it's not that uh, cheap, by the way, to rent either. It cost me about 15 mm. euro, They're I think. They're trying to I'm make not, their money back that way. Not re- yeah, I'm not really quite sure it's worth that. But look, if you're a fan of Nicolas Cage, you want something that's, uh, that's small and silly and violent. And, and as you say, he enjo- you can see he enjoys himself. He seems to be. A, he, yeah. Yeah, it's a very strange kind of performance because he seems to be over-dramatic, uh, dramatising everything that he's talking about and uh, he overemphasized the, the wrong words in, 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 in conversation and um, it's very strange and very odd but it's always entertaining because he always is so I'm, I'm certainly going to recommend it it's not brilliant yeah. but it's, it's he's it's a fun. great actor okay so mark that out of 10 I'll give it 6 6 out of 10 and that is the retirement plan okay thank you for that Mark have a lovely week and of course Mark will be joining us this afternoon because he is once again uh, sitting in as he has been for the last uh, two weeks for uh, Nick uh, and just on the going from films to TV, there's something worth watching over the weekend, which is the first episode of the Julie Bradbury's Irish Journey, and it is highlighting beautiful West Cork and the picturesque southwestern uh, coast. She goes from colourful Kinsale to the breathtaking drama of the Mizzenhead Cliffs and she will, she includes some of West Cork's most recognisable destinations and they'll be beamed to tens of thousands of homes in her new travel series and this new travel series is very much celebrating uh, the beauty of Ireland because it is called um, Julia Bradbury's Irish Journey but her first one her first, her first episode which is on on Sunday is going to feature West uh, Cork and I'm just looking down at some of the things that she's contained in. I know, for example, Terry Carney uh, and all the gang at um, Skibbereen Heritage. That's uh, very much part of uh, the the opening episode as well. So it's part one. I think, it's a, did I say it's a four part? But anyway, it's, sorry, it's not Sunday. It's Saturday. It airs tomorrow night at 8.35 on uh, Channel 4. And then, of course, it'll be available on the player after that uh, as well. But I love, I love when we get a really good, um, a film like this which really shows off uh, West Cork and indeed other parts of, of the county but really shows off uh, West Cork on, on the on TV screens this would be really really good for tourism and you'll get people watching and saying oh I must go there and uh, check it out so if you c- keep a look out for that tomorrow night half 8.35 on uh, Channel 4 The Voices of Cork Choir are holding an open rehearsal on Wednesday of next week at St. Patrick's School on Gardner's Hill it'll be at 7.50 15 people are invited to come along and just find out what the Voices of Cork Choir does. Everyone very welcome uh, to uh, attend. And the good luck to everybody in the Ballinagree Vintage, the 20th anniversary celebrations is happening this weekend at 12.30. All exhibitors are welcome and there's a perpetual cup for best vintage car and uh, tractor with live music on the day. And rather than an entry fee, they're just t- accepting donations and local charities will benefit.
That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards and we'll talk to you Monday morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.